First of all, good morning. It is great to be with you. It was great to be with our first service. Um, and I, I said the same thing to them that I'll say here. Like, I, I wasn't going to introduce myself because I feel like, hey, yeah, everybody knows me. But quite frankly, I look out and there's some people I don't know, which is awesome. Um, we've had a lot of new people here. I, I've been struggling to keep up with, with meeting everybody. So if I haven't got the chance to meet you yet, my name is Brett. I'm a member here. I've been a member here since uh, December of 2017. Um, I started my journey with FBCW as a member of the staff. I was the executive pastor here for about three, three and a half years until Tony got tired of me. Um, actually, I got tired of him, but no, just, just kidding. But uh, yeah, so I worked here for, for three and a half years, got to partner with Tony in ministry. And, and I'll just take this opportunity, especially for those of you that are new. Um, I've had the pleasure both in part-time, full-time member roles, and this isn't something I scripted or anything. I'm just going to say this because it, it came to mind and heart, but I've had the pleasure and, and privilege to be a part of a lot of different churches, uh, some really, really, really large, some really, really, really small, and kind of like us somewhere in the middle. And um, I just want you to know that you have a very, like, the most genuine and passionate of heart senior pastor that you could possibly have. Um, it was a privilege and an honor to serve with him and to work with him. And it is a privilege and honor to have him as my pastor. Um, and so I just, I just, I don't know, I didn't say that in first service. Tony gets uncomfortable whenever you compliment him. So I guess I just wanted to make him uncomfortable. But I'm trying to think of anything else, you know, you need to know about me. I, I live in Marietta, love living in Marietta. Um, I am from Pennsylvania. Uh, so I am a diehard Philadelphia Eagles fan, uh, and maybe more in context here, I'm also a diehard Penn State Nittany Lion fan. Um, so I'm just, you know, you're here to hear truth and, you know, maybe a little prophecy. Um, and so I'm just letting you know Penn State is going to win the Big Ten this year. Um, it's going to happen. We're going to beat Ohio State in Columbus. We're going to beat Michigan at, in Happy Valley. Um, so just Ohio State fans, be prepared for that. I'm trying to give you, you know, the disappointment up front so that you know it's going to happen. And for those of you, you know, that's half the room. The other half of you guys are West Virginia fans, and you play an important part in this too because you are going to be a minor speed bump on the road to an undefeated season <laughs> for Penn State. So just letting you know, that's, I don't get to take many shots because I only preach like once or twice a year, so got to get them out while I'm, while I'm here. Uh, but I'm excited to be here, excited to continue this series. Uh, if you haven't, as Tony said, if you haven't had the chance to be here for all of them, I know I've been traveling a little bit uh, this, um, this summer and, and this month, and so I've had to catch up online. Please do that. Uh, amazing, amazing sermons every single week from different men, uh, godly men in our church, and excited to be, to be a part of that. Um, and so with that being said, we're going to be in John chapter 4 verses 46 through 54 today. That's where we're going to camp out. That's the only text we're going to be in. Um, so you can flip there or click there, whatever you need to do. But before we do anything else, before we dive into the message, I'm just going to ask, I know we've prayed a couple times today, but you can never pray enough. So we're, gonna, we're just going to go to God in prayer over this message and just kind of center our hearts and our minds. Let, let's pray. Father God, thank you for today. Thank you for the opportunity to be 
in your house around your people. God, thank you for the ability um, to sing and to proclaim truth about you, to, uh, to God, to spend time in your word, God, to take communion, to fellowship, and, and all of this, God, hopefully is, is bringing us closer uh, to you. Hopefully it's drawing us nearer to your heart so that our heart, God, is more in line with yours. God, I pray specifically over this, this time, these few minutes, uh, where we're going to open your word and, and try to glean some things from it, God, I, I would just ask in this time that if there's anything in this message that is just my opinion, that is just my thoughts or, or, or my conviction, God, I pray that you would just move that aside. Because, God, we're not here today to hear from me. God, we want to hear from you. So, Lord, I ask that you speak to us because we're listening. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. So, I don't know about you. Maybe you won't relate to this, but I've certainly done this a number of times. Have you ever stuck your foot in your mouth because you said the wrong thing to the wrong person? Patsy, I was thinking about you. You know, you're not supposed to think about certain people when you say stuff, but I was thinking about you. Okay, I'm just being honest. So I appreciate your confession. You know, it's heard before the Lord. No, but, you know, a lot of times we do that because we maybe don't know exactly who we're talking to, right? You know, so we say something, we have an opinion about something, we don't realize that it affects the person that we said it to. You know, I've had this, I've been on the receiving end of this a couple times. Uh, for four years, I coached football at the high school here in Marietta, and uh, we had our ups and downs to say, you know, put it lightly. And I remember a couple years ago, I was out uh, on the golf course, and I was golfing with a couple guys, two of whom I knew, and one guy I really didn't know. And um, he had a son that went to the high school and had played football for a year. And for about three or four straight holes, all he talked about was how bad the coaches were at Marietta High School, which I was one. So we get done, you know, at the end after, after our nine holes and we're sitting eating lunch and he turns to me and goes, you know, so I never heard, what do you, you know, what do you do for a living, Brett? And I said, well, for a living, I'm a, you know, pastor at First Baptist Church of Williamstown, but then on the side, I also coach football at Marietta High School. And uh, yeah, the conversation got kind of awkward real, real quick. Um, you know, so he kind of put his foot in his mouth. Or I, I read this story the other day. I was just kind of researching and, and thinking about this idea. And I came across this, this time when uh, this patient was going to see her doctor. And, um, you know, maybe some of you are like this. You know, you like to do your own research, even though, you know, you don't have a medical degree or any sort of formal training. You know, you, you go on Google and you feel like you're well-informed, right? And so this, this lady, um, you know, was going to see her doctor, and her doctor was putting together a treatment plan for her, and she, uh, you know, didn't agree with the treatment plan. And so she came back, and she had done her research. She had gone online. She had looked at some actual medical journals, you know, not just WebMD. You know, she was looking at some real stuff, and she's quoting this medical journal to her doctor, and it turns out that her doctor was the one who wrote the medical journal that she was referencing, and she was referencing it incorrectly. You know, so she, uh, she stuck her foot in her mouth a little bit. She didn't quite understand what she was 
saying. We, it's amazing what we'll say. And it's amazing what we'll do when we don't exactly know who we're dealing with or who we're talking to. And I kind of start there this morning because that's kind of what we see a little bit from this guy that we're going to see interact with Jesus in John chapter 4. This man uh, is going to not quite know who he's dealing with. And it works out okay for him, but I think we're going to learn something in the process of it. So if you haven't already, like I said, turn to John chapter 4, verses 46 through 54. We're going to read this together. He says, So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum there was an official whose son was ill. And when this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. And so Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. And Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. And as he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. And so he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed and all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come to Judea from Galilee. So I want to point out a few things in the text. And some of them are, are kind of plain to see, but I think they're important that we, we reference. Um, we first need to understand just in context, that this is the second miracle that happens in Cana. If you were here for the first week of this series, Jeremiah Kuhn uh, talked about Jesus turning water into wine. That was the first miracle. That was the first sign that happened in Cana. This is happening in the exact same area, the exact same town, and this is the second sign. And once we have that established, we kind of get right into the meat of the passage, which we see Jesus interacting with this official. Now, this man that we see here, he would have been a royal official. Uh, he would have worked for, he would have worked directly for Herod, you know, the king, the, the ruler. He would have worked for Herod Antipas. Now, this is not the same Herod. If you remember, you know, the birth of Jesus Christ and all the stories surrounding that, there was a Herod who, you know, he was threatened by the king of the Jews. And so he had, wanted to have all the, you know, baby boys under the age of two murdered in Bethlehem. That's actually this guy's dad. Okay, so the, the Herod that's alive during this time is that was his dad who did that, okay? But they're the rulers, they're a ruling family in this region. And this official would have been a guy who was very powerful. He would have been very wealthy. He's someone who is used to getting what he wants, used to telling people what to do, and they do it. This is a man who, you know, just is used to being in power. He's used to being in authority. And that gives us some context into this interaction with Jesus. And we see the, the official come up to Jesus and he, he asks him, he says, you know, hey, my son is ill. Can you come with me and heal him? And, and at first glance, you know, you kind of read Jesus' response. And it, I don't know about you, but it kind of it didn't sit right with me. It made me maybe a little uncomfortable because I, I didn't understand why he was so harsh. I didn't understand maybe why he was so direct. Um, you know, this man is desperate. He needs his son to be healed. He knows that Jesus has power. He doesn't maybe know everything about Jesus, but he knows that he has power. 
And so he's coming to him desperate and he's asking him. He's pleading with him. He's, you know, the Greek word really there is like to beg or to, to ask earnestly. And Jesus responds and is just like, yeah, hey, unless you see signs and wonders, you'll never believe. And first of all, we have to understand, right, we have to acknowledge that we weren't there. Um, you know, we're, we always have to remember when we read Scripture, we're reading a, a text account of an event that happened 2,000 years ago. We're not even reading it in the original language in which it was written. We're reading a translation of it from, you know, English, from Greek. Um, so we're, you know, in the same way that when you, you know, text or email somebody, sometimes the context, the tone gets lost. The same can happen sometimes when we read Scripture. So we weren't, we weren't there. But we also have to understand that Jesus responds to this man this way on purpose. Because as Jesus is prone to do, he's, he's not just addressing this man. He's really addressing all the people in this area. You see, the Galileans, uh, this, where the area, you know, the region where this man lived, they really liked the idea of this Jesus guy. They thought he was pretty cool and what he could do how powerful he was. Man, this guy can heal people. Man, this guy, you know, this guy make food appear out of nowhere. You know, this guy says some really interesting kind of bitey things. I mean, he's, man, he's, he's making a name for himself. This, this guy is fascinating. This guy is interesting. Did they believe that he was the son of God and that he was the savior of the world and, the, you know, the king of the universe? No. But they thought he was, they thought he was interesting. They, they thought he was fascinating. They were excited by him, but they really just saw him as a miracle worker the same way maybe your kids see a magician, you know, that they see somewhere. They just thought he could do cool things. And this official, you know, he, you know, he saw Jesus the same way. He had a need. He had a problem that had to be solved. And so he's going to go to Jesus and he's going to ask him. And so Jesus responds to this official by saying, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. And he says that because it's true. It's true of this man. It is true of all of the Galileans. They want to keep seeing miracles. They want Jesus to keep proving themselves. To them, their faith in Jesus only extended as long as he could perform for them over and over and over again. You know, there's a passage later in the book of John where Jesus feeds the 5,000, and, and in that passage, Jesus has an even stronger rebuke than the one here because he realizes all these people have come back after they've been fed because they just want to be fed again. They just want Jesus to do another miracle so they can get another free meal. That's their interaction with him. They, they want Jesus to be their guy who does spectacular things for them, but they're not necessarily aligned with his purpose or his mission. And so Jesus... You know, knowing the hearts of man, that's one of the things we have to keep in mind whenever we read the gospel, whenever we see Jesus interact with another human, is that Jesus knows exactly what they're going to think, exactly what their intentions are, exactly what they're going to say. He knows what is in their heart at all times. And he responds this way. He's calling out the misguidedness, the limited vision of these people. And it's interesting how the official responds. You know, remember, we've established that he's a powerful man, that he's a man who is used to telling people what to do. And now, instead of asking Jesus if he will heal his son, the Greek there is actually an imperative. It's actually a command. He gives Jesus an order and says, Sir, come down and heal my son. 
And the English kind of softens us, but this is an official giving an order, giving a command. And Jesus responds to this command with a command. He tells the guy to go. He says, hey, I'm going to heal your son, but I'm not coming with you. Go. Go, and it'll happen. He doesn't give him exactly what he wants, but he gives him what he needs. He sends him away empty-handed. He sends him away forcing him. This guy and all these people around him who just base their faith on miracle after miracle after miracle, he gives him no guarantee that it's going to happen. He doesn't have the security of Jesus walking with him to his house. Jesus says, I'm going to stay right here and this will happen for you, but you have to believe that it's going to happen. Go. He forces him to have faith. He gives him what he needs, but he forces him to have faith. And obviously, as we see at the end of the passage, this man and all of his household, they believe. They believe in Jesus. They believe in who he is after Jesus heals his son from a distance. It's just an interesting little conversation that happens. And I think there are some things we can learn from this passage that apply to us and how we live in relationship with Jesus. I think there are two things that two truths that we need to, to know or maybe relearn about Jesus in this passage, and then one thing I think we need to do for ourselves. First of all, we need to see in this passage, and we need to know this about Jesus, church, that Jesus does not have an identity crisis. Jesus does not have an identity crisis. We see all over this passage, and really all over the Gospels, that Jesus in every interaction is crystal clear about who he is, about why he is here, about what he is doing. He just is, is completely sure of himself. He's completely in the know about what he is doing, what his mission is. He has no identity crisis. In the midst of this you know, royal official trying to boss him around, Jesus is not intimidated. He never loses control. He maintains his purpose. And he provides what is needed, but he does it on his terms. When he's confronted with this yet another person who wants miracle after miracle, Jesus is secure in himself enough to call it out in him, to rebuke him. Though those people did not know who he really was, Jesus knew who he really was, and it allows him to always act on mission. And church, that's one thing you can be sure of. When you think about your relationship with Jesus, when you think about your relationship with the Savior of the world, as you read the Bible, you can be sure that God is always doing what he has said that he will do. God is always acting on mission and on purpose. There is no accidents with God. There is no happenstance with God. There is nothing that happens that he says, well, I didn't really want that to happen but I'll, I'll work around it. God is, God is always on mission. and He is always acting exactly the way that he desires. Get, you know, we do not get everything we want in this world, right? Raise your hand if you get everything that you want in this world, right? We don't. God always gets what he wants. God always, at the end of the day, always gets exactly what he wants. What he desires will happen because he doesn't have an identity crisis. He cannot be coerced. He cannot be manipulated. He can't be bargained with. He can't be tricked. He does not have an identity crisis. And this is great for us. Because the fact of the matter is, is that as people, even as the people of God, a lot of times 
we have an identity crisis. We lose track of our purpose. We lose track of our mission. We forget why the things that we do are important. We forget the, the intention behind them, and it gets warped, and it gets twisted. We get distracted. How, how freeing and refreshing is it to know that we have a God who, who does not get distracted, who, who does not get veered off course the way we do so easily, who just always is walking step by step forward in purpose. Jesus does not have an identity crisis. And in light of that, we see our second takeaway about Jesus. We see in this text, and again, this is something that's a theme all throughout Scripture, but it's important for us to understand that Jesus is complete. He's complete in mercy and in power. Jesus is complete in mercy and power. Like we said, Jesus doesn't have an identity crisis. He knows who he is even when other people don't. And one of the ways that I think we struggle is that in, in terms of relating to Jesus or relating Jesus to other people is we don't always balance the grace and truth of Jesus. As the church, over the course of our history, we have ton, tended to swing from one end of the spectrum, one end of the, the paradigm to another. You know, there was a period in time in the church where uh, it was very hellfire and brimstone. It was, we were very, very comfortable with talking about sin. We were very, very comfortable with talking about the holiness of God. We were very comfortable with talking about God as a king and as a ruler who had a standard for our lives. Now, the problem with that is, is we didn't balance it with grace and with love, so it became legalism. And we, we um, shamed people and guilted people into following Jesus. You know, you will go to hell if you don't do this. And while that can be effective for some, again, it doesn't capture the whole picture. So we were over there. We've been over there at times. And maybe some people still are over there. And then we've also kind of swung to the other side. Where we talk a lot about the love and the grace of God. The mercy of God. The, the compassion of God. And those things are good. Those things are true. But when they're not balanced with the holiness of God, when they're not balanced with the fact that we actually, we actually have things that we need to be saved from and that we cannot save ourselves, you know, what it leads to while over here, you know, we were kind of known for well, all the things that we stood against and maybe not what we stood for. Now, sometimes, we're, I'm not sure that we know what we stand for or against on anything. We're, we're just kind of rudderless. We're just, we're just kind of out here and we don't, we're, you know, we're, we're concerned about people knowing that we don't hate them, but we're not telling them the whole truth. The thing about Jesus is that he's complete in both grace and truth. He, he is able to balance in and of himself this ability to rebuke and to challenge while also being totally loving and forgiving. And as a church, we need to figure out the way to do the same. You know, we, we either like the Jesus that was flipping tables over in the temple, or we like the Jesus who's washing the disciples' feet. And the fact is, is that both of those Jesuses are the same person. So we have to figure out a way to balance that. We need to know and we need to understand both sides of Jesus. Because when we swing to, to either side of the, of the pendulum, we, 
misrepresented Jesus, who is, yes, loving and tender and merciful, but who's also mighty and powerful and holy. What we see in this passage is a Jesus who is full of grace and truth. He's full of truth in his rebuke to this man knowing his heart. And he's full of grace in the fact that he heals his son anyway. Even though this guy doesn't know exactly what he is and who he is. And this is the type of Jesus that we should desire to serve and to emulate. We want a Savior. A promise. We want a Savior who is both. We want a Jesus who is both Savior and King who is, as we sang earlier, both merciful and mighty. We want a Jesus who is merciful because we need a Savior, because we cannot save ourselves. We are too broken. We are too weak. We are too mistaken. We are too prideful to do so. We're too wretched. We need someone who deals with us in our sin, not with disgust, not with anger, but with tenderness and compassion and forgiveness. We need a Jesus who is complete in mercy because it means that he would rather die for us than condemn us to hell. But we also need a Jesus who is mighty. We need a king. We need a ruler because we all know, if you would examine your heart, you you know in and of yourself that if you're left to ruling your own life and running your own life, All that follows is destruction and despair. When you sit on the throne of your heart and do not allow God to sit on the throne of your heart, it never goes for you the way that you think it will. You think you have control, but you are ruled. You are ruled by your sin when you are not on the throne of your heart. And so we need someone who is, we can trust, is in control and in command of what seems like a totally chaotic and broken world. We need a Jesus who is complete in power because it means that he is not only willing to heal us, but he is able. He's not only willing to make this world ultimately better in the end and in eternity, but he is able. We need someone who is in control when we are not, and that is the beauty of the true Christ and that he is both Savior and King. This is the supreme ruler, creator, sustainer of every single thing ever. We can't even fathom. We can't even fathom how powerful God is. I promise. You, we could sit here for hours and think on it and talk about it, and we wouldn't even scratch the surface of the sheer power that God possesses. And he possesses all this immeasurable power. He's someone who time and space, these confines and constraints that we have in our day-to-day world, they mean nothing to him. He does whatever he wants, whenever he wants. He can heal a, a boy 20 miles away just by thinking about it and saying it without having to be there. It just It's amazing what he has at his disposal. And yet... This righteous, this almighty king who is deservedly in control is so tender and so full of mercy and so full of love that he cares what is happening to you. He cares what is going on in your life. He cares where you are struggling. He cares. He cares that you are with him for eternity. He cares that you are in relationship with him. 
and what could seem as two contrasting characteristics in our finite human minds are held perfectly by Jesus. He is complete in both mercy and in power. And in light of those two things, because Jesus does not have an identity crisis and because he is complete in both mercy and power, it really leads us to our last takeaway. And this is, this is the practical side for us. It's something we need to do. And we talked about how the Galileans, they, um, you know, for them, Jesus was just this miracle worker, this guy that they could turn to and, and have him do a trick, you know, have him do something cool. And they would just keep believing as long as he kept doing cool things. And the reality is, is that sometimes we can be like the Galileans, if we're honest. You know, I, I want you to ask yourself here today, why, why are you here? Why did you come to church today? If you got up and read your Bible this morning, why did you read your Bible? If you prayed last night before you went to bed, why did you pray? Why are you here? And the fact of the matter is, is that I'm glad that all of you are here, and it's great that all of you are here. But if we're honest with ourselves, sometimes we view God the same way that the Galileans view God, view Jesus. We want him to do stuff for us, and, and our faith is dependent upon him coming through in the moments that we need him. You know, I remember the first funeral uh, that I ever did. Um, I was 22 years old. I was working for a church in Pennsylvania. Uh, it was somebody called our church. It was somebody who knew somebody who knew somebody who went to our church. We didn't know the people, didn't know the family at all, um, didn't know the girl who died. Um, like I said, I was 22, and this girl was six months younger than me that passed away. Um, and she had a six-year-old daughter. And uh, she struggled with depression her whole life, apparently, and um, she hung herself. That was the first, first funeral I ever did. Um, and I remember sitting with the family. If you've ever done a funeral, you know, you, one of the big things is important is you sit with the family and kind of, especially if you don't know the person, you try to get to know them and so you can make it personal. And, you know, we're talking about her personality and the things that she liked or didn't like and whatever. And um, finally comes around to, you know, what was her faith like? And to a person, the family's just like, yeah, we're not really religious people. You know, I kind of believe there's a God, but, you know, it's just church is not something that's important to us. You know, it just kind of, I don't know, it's just not what we do. And they echo that this woman, that's kind of how she had been. Um, maybe she had gone to church when she was younger, but she was actually like agnostic. Um, you know, she didn't believe in God. She didn't believe in organized religion, thought it was destructive. And so she's, you know, that's, that's kind of where she was when she died. And as we're having this conversation, I'm just listening, the, the mom of this woman who died speaks up and she says, well, you know, I remember this girl you know, my, I remember my daughter saying the sinner's prayer when she was three. And I don't believe that God does give backs or take backs, so I believe she's in heaven. And she's kind of looking at me for confirmation that this is true. And if you've ever been in that situation, that is like the worst situation ever to be in when someone, you know, who's had a loved one die is now seeking confirmation from you that they are secure in heaven. When you don't necessarily, you know, I'm not the judge, but it's hard to say that I think that she is based on what I believe about Scripture. 
and in that moment, it was really clear to me that this woman who, you know, I asked her, what was, what's your faith like? And she's like, well, you know, I don't, I don't really go to church. I guess I believe there's a God, but, you know, I just kind of think if you're a good person, it'll all work out in the end. And it was really clear to me that this, this woman didn't know Jesus, but she was hoping for the benefits of being associated with Jesus. In her grief, in her, in her struggle, in her pain, you know, she, she had never followed Jesus, but she wanted what came with following Jesus. I asked, you know, if she knew God personally, and, and it just, it was clear that she didn't. It was, it was a heartbreaking conversation. And, you know, that situation isn't all that different than what we see with this official in John chapter 4, except for the fact that he had time. He had time to, you know, come to believe. His son had the opportunity to be healed. But church, we got to be, we're, we can be guilty of this even as people who are already saved, even as people who, who are faithful, even as people who believe in Jesus. It is possible for us to get to the point where we care more, where we believe more, where we desire more the gifts of Jesus than Jesus himself. Where we're in it and we're here because we like the fellowship and we like the songs and we like seeing people that are our friends and we, you know, we like the kids' programs and, you know, we, we like being, a, so maybe we're lonely and we like being associated with a community or you know, I, I like being able to pray because when I feel bad, I can pray to God. And, and all of those things are great. But are you in it for the benefits or are you, for, are you in it for, for Jesus? Is your whole relationship with God, is your, is your prayer life wrapped up in just asking God for things? Or are you seeking to know him and to make him known in your life? Is it an actual real relationship or is it just about what he can do for you? And is your faith dependent on him just coming through over and over and over again? I want to challenge you with that today. Are you seeking to live and surrender to a merciful and mighty Jesus? Or are you just after his gifts? You see, Jesus doesn't have an identity crisis. So Jesus knows that he is worthy of your whole heart. He knows that he is worthy of your whole total surrender. He knows that he is worthy of your worship, your life, that he is on the throne, that he is in control, and you and I are not. But we should take refuge today. We should take solace today in the fact that the king who is on the throne is complete in both mercy and power. He is kind and he is caring and he is compassionate towards us, but he is able to do what is needed with all authority. But if all you want from him is what he can do for you, you are missing out. You're missing out on a personal, powerful relationship with Jesus himself. That's what I think we need to take away from this story. So let's pray.